0: There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded.
1: That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27 in the ESV.
2: Hello and welcome to another Fantastic episode of the Balm and Gilead podcast. I am one of your co-hosts at Jimerson and sitting halfway across the country from me is our other co-host uh, at everyone. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been spending way too much time on not the bee.
1: Yes, you have. Uh, those are our handles. So friend us on not the bee, won't you? Or i on the same other place. Yeah, are yeah. you the same other place?
2: Do you I, do you
1: comment much on Babylon B? I
2: don't comment much on Babylon B. I, th- I might be yeah. at Brian Emerson on Babylon B because I had like a free account there, and oh, and okay. so whenever I got the other account, it like won't sync up completely correct, but yeah, it's fine. I I've, I've commented there a few times. I've got a I've got a couple badges, I guess you you could say. Have you gotten furred? I have not gotten furred. Um, okay. But I've gotten some upvotes on some, uh, headlines that I've submitted. Hey. So I'm cheating on myself by submitting my headlines to the actual Babylon B instead of just publishing them here at
1: the nah. of
2: Galahad. But
1: you make yourself famous, Brian, yeah. we're all behind you.
2: Yes, we are. We, we, including myself are all behind me is what I just said. Um, <laughs> anyway, I am your co-host everyone Brian Emerson, and everyone is actually Grant Grant Baker. Yes, that is you. Hi, everyone. Good to see you again. Hi, everyone. Virtually, virtually. Yes, I can actually see you, and you just winked at me. That was weird.
1: I did, well, it was the everyone comment. Like I was, hi everyone. Get it? <laughs>
2: yeah. Anyway, it was not a weird wink. I it promise. was. It was fine. We were find, in separate saddles. I say. find myself winking a lot more often at work because I have to wear a mask, and so the only thing people How can see do communicate? is my eyes. And so if I say a joke or something stupid, I have to wink to make sure that someone knows that I'm not being that I'm not being serious. Because my delivery of most of my jokes, believe it or not, is very dry, and there are people that I work with that can never tell if I'm joking or not. <laughs> There there's some people that I have to say that was a joke. I am not being serious. At which point they stop and they think and they say that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's, it's that was a joke, yeah, but
1: it was also real. It, it was, was also funny. real. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: It's a uh, it's fun. It's fun when that happens. So what you got for follow up? I have a couple things. A couple things. Okay, um, all right. So we, uh, our last episode, we finished the discussion on the Psalm model in, uh, in the matter of like parsing it out and coming up with the definitions and the questions and kind of talking through all of them. And so we uploaded it to our website in a print form and I've already updated it since then. So, uh I actually, Updated some of the wording even before I up I uploaded it for the first time, so I've been sitting on the document since we started season two. I've I uh, wrote out most of it really early on, and uh, so right before uploading it, I was like, "Here's some typos. Here is a better way to word this." So all of the text that we've read all season long uh, has already been updated. Um, Most of it's been minor stuff. Um, Things like... uh, I've mentioned that I'm trying to really shy away from making it sound like I have secret knowledge. Some of my wording kind of sounded secret knowledge-y. So I changed it to uh, be more obvious that this is my opinion and and that this is what I have gleaned instead of what I have found. Things like that.
1: Well, to be clear, we have lots
2: of opinions about things. Do. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and everything that we express in this show is our idea, unless we have cited it to someone else's idea that we either agree with or disagree with. Um, and I get most of my stuff from just trying to read scripture and, you know, work through it and wrestle with it. And, uh, but I am not ordained and, uh, and so I think we Neither should, am
1: I, to be clear. Yeah.
2: And uh, and I do have a seminary degree, but it's just an MA. Didn't learn the Greek or or the Hebrew. Just put it on my arm because that's what I do. But uh, I I know other podcasters try to remind people of that, that they aren't ordained or that we're not your pastor. And I think it's probably a good idea to to remind people of that from time to time. So Moving on, uh, I mentioned that the in our last episode that the Psalter begins with a call to action uh, in Psalm one, and even though it's not a direct call to action, it still is. But I neglected to to uh, to talk about the last Psalm. Psalm one hundred and fifty is a fantastically obvious, blatant call to action that ends with uh, "Let everything that has breath praise the Lord." Praise the Lord. So uh, the Psalter both begins and ends with calls to action, and uh, and that's not uh, unintentional. And so uh, I wanted to to mention that.
1: Ah, good. Well, I guess that leaves it to me. Uh, I just wanted to mention uh, James Montgomery Boyce. We talked about him. Uh, he's the author of one of the commentaries on the Psalms uh, that. I found helpful last week and I didn't remember where in the East coast he was, Philadelphia, Uh, Philadelphia, historic 10th Presbyterian church. And he was the pastor there from 1968 to the year 2000, which I believe was the year he died. Uh, So there you go. There you have it. There we have it. So uh, we have some quick thoughts. Um, We're very excited about today. Uh, this has been something that you've heard teased a little bit about, but first, uh, Brian's here to introduce our icebreaker,
0: our
2: icebreaker, uh, our icebreaker also, uh, known as the lack thereof, uh, for the least the second week in a row, maybe third, I don't remember. Um, we were really trying to put an icebreaker together for this episode, but in the last two weeks, just a few really interesting things have happened. Um. You know, what Buffalo Man stuff like that, <laughs> but that's just been the last couple of days. But uh, anyway, there's just been too much, there's been too much that has happened in the last two weeks to really talk about. I wanted to kind of maybe share some highlights. Uh, Justin Bieber's thinking about becoming a pastor at Hillsong. After his, uh, yeah after his former pastor was uh, fired for having an affair with a Muslim, that's okay. yeah uh, as I said, a lot has happened. Uh, Bieber's made some comments about how he wants to study very hard for one year and then become the head pastor at one of the world's largest mega churches.
0: That's so, how that works that
2: with sounds, the mega churches. That sounds like a really good idea. It sounds like that that's should scare. Not, <laughs> that, that, if that,
1: you're that, in a church, <laughs> yeah,
2: the, I can't. I cannot imagine that going poorly at all. But there's that. <laughs> um, in other news, uh, Kanye and Kim are in discussion to uh, to. Their marriage. Um,
1: Still voting for him in 2024. Yee, 2024.
2: Yee, 2024. um, Mm -hmm. Vote for the Yeezy. But I don't know. uh, One, I don't know any of the details behind it. This is all like kind of gossip stuff at this point. Number two, uh, I don't necessarily know that it is a wrong thing to do if he is truly a believer and she is truly not a believer and she wants to vacate um, it might actually be very healthy for him. Uh, in, it is biblically allowed. If you are a believer and your unbelieving spouse wants to leave, you can let them leave. But at the same time, divorce isn't ever the best option uh, or the, it's never the perfect option. It might be the best at from time, but it's not the perfect option. The perfect option is, for all wives to lo- to submit to their husbands and all husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but it is very difficult to do when your wife is Kim Kardashian. Um, so, uh, also, uh, I checked the Billboard Top Charts right before oh. right before coming in here. Numbers, what do you say? Numbers one and two. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers one and two are still some lingering Christmas songs from Carrie Underwood, but number three, huh. number three, is Lauren number Daigle. Three. You say
1: no? <laughs>
2: it's uh, she's back. She's back on the boards. It's it's listed as as a uh, like a readd or something, um, and it says last week she was hyphen and this week she is three. So. Lauren Hegel back to number three. I imagine that once the Christmas songs all fall off, she'll be number one again. It's kind <laughs> of it's a it's, uh, it's that it's it's there. It's a
1: uh, it's that time of year. It's That time of year. It's, it's not yeah, Christmas,
2: it's, and so we are tired right. of our Christmas songs. So I really really miss you. Say put so. Let's in a box, so let's just replace brown every paper, every Christmas package. song. Replace every Christmas song with "You Say" it once more. True. We'll re- put it on repeat, and it'll become number one again. I don't know. I don't know. I'm
1: honestly <laughs> surprised that the rest of the uh, CCM world is even trying at this point. I know.
2: I know. I, I, I was maybe like, they're not.
1: Maybe that's the maybe it, that's maybe the problem.
2: not. Yeah. I kind of had this thought. I should just go and check because it might be there. It just might, and it was. And I'm <laughs> just like, what? what?
1: Who knew? <laughs> who
2: knew? God knew. That's who. Yes. Anyway. That so that's our icebreaker. In a nutshell. Lots of stuff. Um, ice is broken. Ice is broken. Things are happening.
1: Yes. Not all of it's great.
2: No. No. And I really <laughs> don't want to get into an hour and a half political tirade on everything. So You've been reading too much not to be. I've been reading way too much not to be.
1: I've been reading too much Presbycast. Anyway yeah we're gonna move on from that discussion we are.
2: topic. we will move on from that discussion topic uh, there are some other things kind of in the works that we might bring up in later podcasts episodes and stuff uh that is current today but we just didn't have enough time to really really get down into it um
1: where would you go to stay tuned with all of that brian Make sure that you're uh, in the know about everything going
2: on. There are multiple places. One, you could check in on our website regularly. Two, you could go to slack.techreformation.com, uh, where I hang out from time to time. Or three, you can go yeah. to com and become a subscriber, because that's kind of where I'm <laughs> spending all my free time lately. Um, <laughs> hey, if we get enough subscribers to join, we can have our own like uh, I club. Can, I can start my own group there without needing any subscribers, yeah. just nothing would happen. Excellent, um,
1: Perfect. Just just call it the Balm and Gilead podcast and we'll see who comes. Yes. But really, the place to connect with the show is on slack.techreformation.com where you can join up for free. Mm-hmm. You can discuss the show and many other topics with your hosts and other hosts and listeners of the show. Uh, that's slack.techreformation.com. Techreformation.com. Sign up today and we'll see
2: you there. Yeah, You can also hang out with our sister podcast, The Lightest Form of Flogging, uh, where Sweet. I am sure that after this episode, I will probably be appearing on their show to talk about this episode. That's wow, probably that's, uh, going to happen. Uh, mighty assumptive. It's, well, it's kind of mighty assumptive. It's also kind of mighty, just probably what's going to be happening uh, in uh, closed discussions and open discussions <gasps> and. All sorts of things. But we've uh we had Jim, uh one of the hosts on the show a few episodes back and we heart you, Jim. We do. We also heart you, David. Um but we do ever since then we have been kind of leaking some of this particular episode out slowly, and I've been trying to keep as much like a slow it, leak. <laughs> I've been trying to keep as much of it unspoken as I can because like I've got like I'm gonna be talking about all this. It's going we're finally taking it in, and so we're finally we're going to repair have, that tire. We're going to have this episode on translation and paraphrase, and we're going to talk about what we think about it. We're going to talk about all sorts of stuff, and I'm sure that David will listen and have his thoughts, and he will put together lists of questions that he wants to ask me, so that we can just put it to rest and finish the conversation, or at least come to a uh, an understanding. Um, mm. Mm. and well yeah
1: stay tuned stay and tuned. uh don't 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 let brian and david have all the fun here, yeah folks please join in on slack dot tech. Wait, we already did that one we did man
2: but you should go and you should find your best michael jackson eating popcorn memes and just yes. listen to david and i talk snuggle together. up to the fire yes because and that's pretty much open up the nature of our relationship um so the questionnaire we we have gone over the whole thing uh it's it's there we just uploaded the new uh the newest iteration of it uh it's it's a lot more organized now we have the psalm model i've got the scripture element i've got the uh excellence element uh and the origin element i think is how i have it all worded that's from just the top of my head, I might have that wrong, but um, one of the things that we that this particular list is really good for is it's for type one music and somewhat type two music. Uh, when you start getting into other types of music, uh, type three, type four, type five, the questions would change. Like I'm not I'm not too worried when I'm listening to secular radio about if they get scripture correct because I don't expect them to. I don't expect them to use scripture, but I don't expect them to get it correct, even if they do. So I'm not too concerned about that. Um, But when I am thinking about what music do I want to play for my church, these are questions that are very, very important. And uh, if you go back and listen to some of our earliest, earliest episodes, um, type one music is, is written by man for God. Type two music is written by Christians for Christians, um, and so that is kind of the the most nutshell version that you can kind of. Uh,
1: Number two is CCM. Number one, one is like worship music. Yeah. Or and uh, we we do draw distinctions there. Like some type music written for type one is really more on the type two side. Right. Um,
2: and but uh, if you so think of it. A, two sides to it. If you think of it like a Venn diagram, you have your type one music, you have your type two music, but what happens when they overlap? Like there are people, I mean, the the big four, Bethel, Elevation, Hillsong, Passion. Uh, Most of the stuff they're writing could probably be categorized as one and a half music. Um, It is meant for church, but it's also meant for the radio. Um, And when you get into that realm, I think that is where the questionnaire is the most useful, uh, because you're making some sacrifices. You're trying to appease the masses, but while also trying to glorify God. And uh, a statement I made, I think even in the first, maybe second episode of this show, was popular Christian music is an oxymoron, because to be popular, you must seek the approval of man, but to be Christian, you must seek the approval of God. And so the the priority of popularity and Christian are competing. Um, And uh, so this one and a half music, we have to be, that's where we have to be really, really careful. That's where we have to be the most discerning because uh, motivations of the songwriters are, could be iffy. Um, I'm not making any specific blatant call out of anyone in particular for the most part, but um, it could be like we, that's why we need to be more discerning with those. Um, So now that I've kind of unlocked this idea of one and a half music, 1.5 music, you can also kind of take that to other areas. Uh, 2.5 music. Like what would 2.5 music look like? Um, I think a lot of like the, uh, the John Foreman type stuff, would fall under 2.5 music. It's it's very folksy. It's not necessarily meant for pop music, but he's going to talk about scripture from time to time. He's going to he's going to get into that blatant Christian, but not really necessarily meant for the Christian only audience. Um, and you could also uh, get into um, 3.5 would be kind of interesting. Like that that could be several different types of subcategories uh like what do you do with a song like bob dylan's christian music you know where does that really fall is it really truly christian or is it uh, like where does it fall 3.5 i I think that that'd be a good way to look at it or um you know music uh when someone when john legend writes a christmas song it could probably fall under 3.5 so uh there are some some interesting subtypes that, that come in these these overlaps. I, I say all this because today we are going to be talking about 0.5 music. Uh, 0.5 would be in between 0 and 1. And uh, 0 music being music written by God for a man to worship God. And those would be the Psalms. And so... What do we do uh, when we take the word of God and uh, I, I don't want to say rewrite it. Rewrite is a really terrible uh, <laughs> a really terrible way to, to describe what a psalm paraphrase.
1: Yeah is. what are you saying?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but to take the word of God and make it um, make it more relatable to a modern audience? Um, there are different reasons why we we might want to do this. Uh, One is, I don't speak Hebrew. I don't know about you.
1: Neither do I. I I can say... I I, I know not... Shalom.
2: I can say Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, because I decided to permanently put that on my arm, and I figured if I'm going to do that, I should learn to say it. Um, That is good. People might ask you what it is. There's an old Babylon Bee where the youth pastor forgets what his Hebrew tattoo means. Yeah. <laughs> that was a classic. That was like one of the earliest, earliest ones. Um uh yeah, so uh Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy six four. I have that on my arm. Um but that's it. Like I don't I couldn't tell you any line from any psalm in Hebrew, and so something must happen for me to Hallelujah. be able to understand it. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to go no further. I am not touching that with a 10
1: foot pole.
2: Did I mentioned that a lot of things have happened in the last couple of weeks. Um,
1: uh, yeah, did, I should check back in on that Facebook conversation. Yeah. Uh, uh no, nothing, nothing. I'm just to have right.
2: something to do later. So, uh, so I sent that meme to one of my friends and he was like, Haha, that's funny. And then later he saw, he, he had not heard the actual news story. Um, when I sent him that meme that I also sent you. Um, and later he's like, Oh wow, that wasn't just a weird, funny dad joke. That was an actual <laughs> political commentary. Um,
1: <laughs> my wife loved it.
2: Yeah. I will say, I, 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 uh, well,
1: I, I, I do too, but I'll, I'll yeah. post
2: the picture in the show notes, but it was something to the, uh, along the lines of the closing "Amen" is, is a Hebrew word that actually means so be it. Um, and so it has nothing to do with gender or anything, though I have absolutely no idea what it means in the Hebrew. <laughs> Um, There, that's yeah. it. It's oh, out there. Out there. Okay, it's <laughs> there. Um, so type 0.5 music. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't speak Hebrew or Shebrew. I speak English, and I'm trying to learn Spanish, but I don't know very much. Uh, aren't we all? Uh, it's my New Year's resolution learn Spanish. Oh, uh, um, cool. I work with a lot of Hispanics, so I think that'd be good for me. Yeah. But I don't speak Hebrew. And so we have to get the language from Hebrew into English somehow. Uh, This is done through the process of translation. Um, And I kind of wanted to look at the Psalms in three different categories, uh, talking about translation. And then I'm going to get into this idea of paraphrase. Uh, and I've got lots to, lots of different things on paraphrase, uh, that I did not write any notes on. So we will figure out what I say later.
1: Um, well, you have kind of general categories here in the show notes. I'm I do. Hoping they mean something. I have
2: titles and that's it. Um, but there are. Th- he keeps it all up there. Folks. I do. I do. Brilliant. This is. This is something that I have put a lot of thought into over the years, uh, and it's a very, very interesting interesting topic. But when we are looking at the Psalms, uh, we can look at them as three very distinct different categories. Uh, the first is that they are scripture. The Psalms are breathed out through God. They are the word of God uh, written by by the holy spirit through the psalmists uh most notably david there's also asaph uh solomon has one in there moses has a few a lot are unknown and then some are um uh, just people that that's all we know them by is that they wrote this one psalm um but when we are translating the psalms as scripture there are two major schools of thought for translating scripture, and that's uh, word-for-word translation and line-by-line translation. Most translations, I think most, like, generally speaking, the good ones are more word-for-word translations. Uh, ESV is a word-for-word. I think NASB is word-for-word. Um, even the KJV, KJV was Little, word-for-word. Yeah. Um, to a fault in some places and more on more well, on that later nasb um, would be one yeah the the probably best line by line translation would be the niv and uh the difference between the two word for word you're looking at each word and you're translating each word in the context of that word uh, and sometimes you get some yoda ease when you do it that way because Greek and Hebrew uh, syntax is a little bit different than English, um, but you typically will get a lot of um, you'll get a lot of really good like nuance in in the the word usage. Um, I'll give an example in John one. Um, there's a line that says, "You know, the, the light has shone into the darkness, and the darkness has not um, could not grasp it or cannot overcome it." Uh, grasp is a really fantastic word. Uh, overcome is less good of a word to, to translate. Cause the idea was a double entendre. Uh, when you think of grasping, you, there's two different ideas. There's a physical grasping and an intellectual grasping. Um, you know, if you don't grasp the concept, that's a very common expression, but also there's this idea of like taking hold physically of something, grasping it. Um, so mm-hmm. the darkness cannot grasp the light. It meant, physically overcome it but it also meant could not understand it. Some translations even say understand or comprehend. Um, However a line by line translation what it will do is it will take the line in context and it will translate the line and so you're not necessarily looking at the words you're looking at the meaning and so you're getting a lot more uh, if, if there was a line that had a double meaning it's probably going to only translate one of those meanings. And so you're going to lose some stuff in, in that idea. But what you gain is, uh, idioms. So if there's an idiom in the Hebrew, uh, a line by line translation will transliterate it into an, uh, into a Western idiom that means the same thing. Uh, most good word for word translations will do take the line by line approach when it comes to idioms. Um, The KJV did not. Uh, and so we get some really cool things like in song of Solomon five, four, where it says, and, uh, my bowels were moved for him. And we read that in English and we're like, what, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) Uh, it means my heart was stirred within me. That's what it means in, in a line by line translation. um, so that's kind of this idea when you're translating scripture in general. Um, and I mentioned idioms. The Psalms are full of idioms and, and imagery and uh, metaphors and things that made a lot of sense in ancient Near Eastern times. But when you look at these kind of poetic phrases and you translate them word for word, they can be a little jarring or confusing and, um, especially when they're talking about places that we don't, that don't have any uh, significance to us or mm-hmm. um, when they're talking about like musical instruments that we don't know what they are um, or uh, like the word say We still don't really mm-hmm. know what that means. Um, I, I did want to talk about, I uh, have this written down um, Uh, There's a non-salm example of this kind of transliteration. Uh, Jesus said that he uh, he did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to change even one jot or tittle. Uh, That is kind of what it means in the Hebrew. But we don't know what a jot or a tittle are unless you know Hebrew. They are specific uh, parts of the Hebrew lettering. And so a lot of English translations say dot or iota. Uh, which are more, um, the, uh, the Latinate characters, uh, similar ideas. So you, you might even say like, dot all your I's and cross all your T's, things like that. Um, that's what Jesus meant when he said jot and tittle, but we don't really know what that means unless we have done a little bit of research. And so uh, line by line, we'll take those kind of poetic ideas or those idioms and, um, and try to transliterate them into uh, something that makes a little bit more sense to uh, to the reader. Now, I'd say that most psalm translations will keep all of the locations the same because uh, it doesn't make sense to put in a different location. And they'll keep the instruments the same because they were significant at the time. But when we are talking about... Uh, psalm paraphrase, and we'll get into that later, Mm -hmm. um, those can be taken into account a little bit more. Uh, That's just, uh, and we'll get more on that in a little bit. Um, Talking about the poetic devices and stuff, uh, the psalms are poetry. And so there's an idea of translating poetry. Uh, There's a lot more schools of thought on translating poetry than there are on translating scripture. Uh, My wife uh, has her master's of fine arts in poetry. She studied for a year at Boston university. I say this so that I can call on her ethos for the one class that she took on poetry translation. So I have secondhand knowledge of one class that my wife took and that is my ethos. So there, um, she, uh, and there was a funny kind of story in this particular class. There was a, uh, a guest teacher that, uh, basically said that all of Christianity was, uh, was a joke because it was built on one bad translation from an old text. She was referring to the King James version of the Bible. Uh, she deemed it a bad translation and she, uh, wrongly assumed that the entire Christian faith was built on the translation of the King James version Bible. And, uh, so she used that as an example of, how bad translations can uh, ruin the world, basically. Um, ah. And so that all said, uh, what my wife had to do for one of her projects, she had to take some, I believe that she did um, some Spanish poems. Some uh, mm-hmm. uh, There's a poet that she chose that all of their poems were in Spanish, and she had to, really brush up on her Spanish that she took in high school um, and figure out how to translate the meaning and then creates a new product that was very similar to the old poem uh, that was still carried all the same poetic elements of the original poem, but that would be uh, translated into English. And she, uh, she passed. Yay. Yay. She good. was very excited that she passed because she did not know. She doesn't know Spanish. She took French in college, kind of. So um, that was not her forte. Creative writing was her forte, not languages. But um, I say all this to say the Psalms are not only poetry in a different language; they're poetry in a different culture. Uh, the ancient Near East was a very different culture than the modern West. And a lot of the things in the Bible, even in the old Testament, um, make so much sense in the context that they were written, but almost seem fanciful, um, such as sword fighting, um, you know, just military things. And, um, and some of the, like, some of the imagery my god is my rock and my fortress um mm-hmm. uh, paul even uses some imagery of how we our weapons are enough to take out the fortresses that are up on the hills and stuff like that and and we have to really do some research to understand fully what they're saying because D- we, does
1: that mean that your weapon is a melody writing is that is that what paul's saying there <sighs>
2: Only if your melody is a chicken. Um, what? A chicken? Like a like a like a well, rubber chicken that you would give to a dog.
1: <laughs> <sighs> and it sings. And it perhaps? sings
2: in duet form. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Just... inside jokes. One day I hope to be a part of them. Um,
1: oh, you're part of many. Yes, I know. Longtime listeners will recognize uh, our respect.
2: Respect. For? For the worst chicken. Uh,
1: the, the, for the worst chicken, yes. Yeah. And uh, the song we were referencing, I believe, is Rattle by. Um,
2: raise a Hallelujah.
1: Elevation. Oh, Raise a Hallelujah. That's right. By, by Zach.
2: Raise a Halloween by Bethel Bethel Music, Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, by Jonathan and Melissa Helsger, Helsger, Hels, Helsner. I don't do a lot of
1: listening to the Big Four. Um, Let's
2: just say. So, this is what happens when you don't write good notes. Um, So let's (laughs) keep going.
1: No, that's just me throwing you off. (laughs) All right.
2: Uh, So, when translating poetry, uh, there are a great many things to consider. Uh, one of the most important characteristics of poetry is the expression of emotion. Uh, that's why we use poetry instead of prose is because it connects with the emotion, uh, more than prose, but it also connects with the mind. It's an intellectual, uh, it's an intellectual expression of the emotions, which is just a very fantastic way to express, um, to express your thoughts and your feelings. Uh, the Mm -hmm. poet uses, uh, devices, Uh, to convey a message that is both engaging to the mind and emotions in tandem, which is uh, also what we would call prosody, which I think is also very scriptural because we are to worship in spirit and in truth. So I think that poetry was always meant to be a huge catalyst in that. Um, Different cultures utilize different techniques and devices to accomplish the goal of engaging the mind and emotions. When translating poetry from one culture and language to another, it's important to use the devices of the new audience to accomplish the same end that the devices of the original poet used for the for the intended original audience. Um, this requires dedicated study into the original culture in order to understand the intricacies of the original poem. It also requires the dedicated study and craft of modern poetry in order to create a new poem that does justice to the original.
1: Every word has something called like a semantic range, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, A kind of a realm of meaning uh, that encircles it, so to speak. And there are uh, different terms that uh, can be related to it in different ways. Some are closer than others. And so I would imagine that the same, the same is true with the translation of uh, a regular document as, as with poetry, but mm-hmm. with poetry it becomes even more important because you're looking for words in the target, the destination language that match the same semantic range as the original, which isn't always possible. Right. Uh, but, and not only that, but you're also looking to what is this, what is the meaning of, uh, what is the original author attempting to do? I mean, you see this in Psalm one nineteen, for instance, mm-hmm. where it's an acrostic poem, right. But um, you know, you it, that's just impossible really, to communicate that part in English, and so they handle it with a footnote. Um, but y- you're having to translate not only the meaning of the word and matching up the semantic ranges, Uh, as best you can, but also then like you were saying, you're trying to evoke the same emotion, uh, which is a lot trickier to do. And uh, if I may say so, a bit subjective. Yeah. Is that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I would would definitely agree. And talking about Psalm 119, it also reminds me of the book of lamentations. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the book of lamentations is a series of acrostic poems. And so Mm -hmm. the first, four chapters. Um, I guess the first two and the fourth, uh, are all 22 verses long and each one in the original was a different letter. And the, uh, third chapter, it was longer. And so it did more verses per letter. And then the fifth chapter, it abandoned the acrostic. Uh, and it just did, um, it, just, it was just a, a poem in and of itself, and that abandonment of the acrostic actually portrayed a message of just utter hopelessness and chaos, mm-hmm. and, and we mm-hmm. lose that. We lose that in, when we translate it into English because we don't really have that ability to do the acrostic well. Uh, different number of letters, uh, different, some letters that we just can't start uh, something with, like the Q or the X would be very difficult. Uh, especially to keep it um, consistent, and so mm-hmm. we we just kind of abandon that idea. And you, like you said, use a footnote. Um, and uh, so that's something as, as well. Uh, but there might be a technique within the English that has a very similar uh, has a very similar connection that that might come across that might have the same impact that the original did and so we can use a device that they did never that they never used and that could essentially do the same thing uh, emotionally and mentally and so that's mm-hmm. kind of when we're talking about translating poetry um that is something that we should consider mm-hmm. now most translations of the Psalms focus much, much, much more on Psalms as scripture because the Psalms are scripture and the goal is to translate the scripture. And uh but when we get into translate or when we get into the idea of singing the psalms, uh we're not typically, unless you're uh the corner room, you're not going to just open up the ESV and start singing the Psalms. And uh And so, when we think about psalms as lyrics, that's where we get into the really tricky part of of translating, because the psalms are scripture, the psalms are also poetry, but they're lyrics, and uh, any good poet will probably tell you more than a lyricist, but there is a a big difference between poems and lyrics. Uh, My wife is a poet, I am a lyricist. I don't write poetry. Some of my lyrics are poetic but uh but my lyrics are not poems some of my wife's poems might be lyric but they are not lyrics um they're two different things but are very very similar i'd say that they are very they're like an adjoining genre and people will often miss uh unless they'll mistake one for the other uh a lot of old hymns began as poems but they were formal poems and formal poems are a lot easier to turn into lyrics. Um, but uh, as my poetry teacher in college said, uh, She Loves Me, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah is a terrible poem, but it's a fantastic lyric. And so the uh, the standard is different. The, the standard is completely different when you're talking about lyrics or when you're talking about poetry. Um, and so when we're talking about singing the Psalms, it's very tricky because first and foremost the psalms are scripture you need to translate them as they are scripture second they are poems and you need to translate them as poems but if you're going to sing them those poems need to be singable and they need to be lyrics so um when you are translating the psalms into modern songs uh there is such a wild difference in the song structure from the ancient, uh, Hebrew to modern Western music. Uh, I am not an ancient near East music scholar, but from what I have learned and from what I understand, the song struck, uh, the song structure of ancient Hebrew music is very chant. Like, um, uh, the line length didn't matter as much because you're mostly chanting. Uh, and it's probably still very similar to, uh, modern hebrew and modern uh, israeli or even middle eastern or um uh islamic uh music uh, i i have heard some of like the islamic morning prayer calls and stuff mm-hmm. like that that's honestly probably what the psalm sounded a lot like musically um you have some variation in the in the the melody, but it's mostly chant-like. It goes up on the important parts and it might trail off at the end. Um, but it's... It, it is not focusing on... Um, on a repeated melody. It's not focusing on... Uh, on repeated melodic lines to help reinforce the prosody as much. Um, and, uh, and so when we are translating it into our music, which does rely heavily on the melody and on the repeated melodic lines, um, we have to take that into consideration. And so uh, there are world music systems today uh, that uh, that still have the type of musical structure that focuses more on the words than it does on the music. Uh, But Europe and America uh, have a musical style that uh, it requires chord structure patterns, timing and meter, uh, repeated melodies. Um, Also, uh, these devices in Western music, uh, they're not merely like set decoration. They each have a purpose within the prosody to help connect with the mind and the emotions. Therefore, you cannot just simply take the verbatim ESV scripture and set it to a tune of Amazing Grace and get the same desired result. Um, though I'm pretty sure the corner room probably could, and it would be amazing. <laughs> um,
1: amazing grace. It would be amazing grace. I said amazing, amazing
2: and I immediately regretted it.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I had to call you out on it.
2: Yeah, that's fine. I'm glad you did. That's what, that's what good. That's what, that's what good are for.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's, that's just, it's a whole lot to, to take in. I, I, I kind of just flew through a lot of that. Um, and so, when, when I'm thinking about music and, and trying to translate into, you know, from one language into another, I'm reminded of, um, uh, the ethnodoxology we talked about. Yeah. In a, In a previous episode, uh, that idea of, um, uh, about immersing yourself into a new culture and finding their musical style and, um, uh, and then creating a new song in their style as opposed to just translating just as I am into Swahili and calling it a day. Um, It's, it's not necessarily a bad idea to do that, but it's not necessarily the best idea either. And I really, really am convinced that the, we don't have the ancient near Eastern melodies or music or anything like that. Um, They didn't have iTunes back then for a reason, so that the Hebrew poetry, uh, poetry can be translated into any culture um, in, at any time so that we can all sing the Psalms in our own uh, cultures. I, I believe that was always intended. And, um, and, uh, and so that's, that's something that we all need to consider. So the Scottish Metrical Psalter might be one of the best English translated uh, salters from the original languages into English as a rhyme and meter. Uh, but one it's dated. It was done a long time ago. Uh, it, it focused on a particular song structure that isn't necessarily popular today, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it just, it is what it is. And, um, and the language has evolved since then. So trying to update stuff like that, I think is a good idea. Um, but it, it, it can still be tricky because I, I can't just like snap my fingers and have a new Psalter. That is a translation from the original language into English as a modern Psalter. I can't do that. Um, so that's, that's there. Uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about before going into, um, before going into paraphrase, is literally when I was trying to figure out a, a title for this episode, I was Googling some stuff and I came across an article that I found that was really interesting. Um it's on uh, commonhymnal.com. It's uh yeah. something that Aaron Keys wrote. Um and he was talking about translating from uh, like songs from Swedish into English. And uh, he mentioned that uh, "How Great Thou Art" was originally a Swedish hymn that was translated into like Russian and then French and then English or something like that. But um, he said that he he kind of documents this uh, the process of translating a a hymn from one language into another. And we'll we'll link this article. It's it's I skimmed it, but it was pretty interesting what I read. There's a quote that we pulled from it that says uh, he's talking about. If you just do a word for word translation, it says it often ends up terse, difficult to sing, and far from inspiring. And uh and that is I think the best way to kind of put this idea of just trying to take the ESV and, and set it to uh and set it to music. It's it can be terse, difficult to sing, and far from inspiring. And the Bible singing the word of God should not be terse, it should be easy to sing and it should be the most inspiring thing that we can do. And so the, there is an art form to translating these psalms into a singable, uh, into singable music today. And, uh, and it's not just simply taking some words and rearranging them until they fit into a, into a box. And that's how I'm going to uh, move into paraphrase. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about, uh, before we well, switch gears?
1: There, there are a few, uh, few things. Um, uh, I was trying to find that episode or the, maybe it's just in his blog, common hymnal, mm-hmm. but, um, he is very involved in like, he feels very woke to me. Yeah. But, uh,
2: yeah. I, I haven't done too much research into him, but I've but, tread lightly. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, definitely some two-CVs in there. I just wanted to pick up on some of the things that you said in regards to, like, all throughout this. So, like, word-for-word translation, sometimes you're going to hear that called, like, literal translations or uh, ones that are trying to be, uh, yeah, more literal. Uh, the And then, like, the line-by-line, sometimes you'll hear that as... More of a functional or dynamic equivalence is is kind of like the two schools of thought with regards to biblical translation. I like that you mentioned the place where Jesus says the jot and the tittle shall not pass away, and what that says, uh, in some sense, is that there is a need for uh, that literal translation um, as much as possible. I mean, it. The thing about that is it, it takes away some of the interpretation by the mm. translator. Um, but yet there are uh, uh, all the word of God. And where I'm drawing that from is the Westminster Confession, uh, section 1, paragraph 8. And it says that the Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old... In the New Testament, in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately, that is, without mediator, inspired by God and by his singular care and providence, uh, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. So, as in all controversies of religion, the Church is finally to appeal unto them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of god who have right unto an interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of god to read and search them therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar you know the common language of every nation unto which they come that the word of god dwelling plentifully in all they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope so you need to go out and learn Hebrew and Greek just to read the Bible? No, no. You know we're very fortunate. We have um, a lot of very good translations. And what's important is uh, to know about this. Is it's the Word of God, right? So if you're reading your your ESV or NIV or KJV, that's the Word of God. Now um, there are some. Uh, translations that aren't translations but are more of a paraphrase mm-hmm. like the message which you got to be pretty careful with Try but it lightly. um yeah and um so i'm i'm excited to hear what you have to say about that um here in a little bit but i do, i did want to kind of ground what we're saying in in, in sort of the a confession that we both um, i believe confess mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh If you have any more questions about that, too, I would definitely recommend that you check out episode 1.8 of uh, the Jerusalem Chamber podcast, where they get into that a little bit more than we have the time or knowledge to really um, tear into a little bit. So one other thing I wanted to say was, in the Expositors Bible Commentary on the Psalms, the author mentions this about kind of what you were saying earlier about the Psalms really being relevant no matter what culture or language. And he says the various structures are functional devices. This is uh, after he kind of gets done describing all the different functions uh, or the different ways that some of the Psalms break down. But the various structures are functional devices by which the Western reader, that's us, can more readily enter into the Hebraic structures of poetry. Uh, So in other words these things that the psalmist wrote down based on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are still accessible by us, even though they're in this different language. And uh, part of that is due to this functional the functional devices and the various structures that the psalmist used to communicate that. Uh, so I just find that really fascinating that God, you know, used language. Um he used a book to communicate with us. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, one thing I, I find just kind of, this is going to be like some little free knowledge. Uh, one of the things I think is really it. interesting about that even is um, like the codex, which is the type of uh, early book that was yeah. done with, uh, I guess, mostly like parchment that was cut and bound um, like that became a thing to spread the new Testament. So like Mm -hmm. books exist because of the new Testament. Uh, that's, that is something that is not taught. Like books would not exist if books would not exist. If the first century church was not trying to spread the gospel, that's fascinating to me. And so God used books literally, um, as his as his means to to spread his fame abroad yeah
1: Um, even the reformation uh think about the time that it came about was the time of the printing press had Mm -hmm. just been invented and because of that uh well obviously the gutenberg bible was the first thing off the press uh as we all know Mm -hmm. and that began to this this reformational idea of like we just read in the Westminster Confession of Faith that the scriptures ought to be translated into the common language of the people. That was a brand new idea. And the way that that worked was through this technology of the printing press. And so it's really interesting to see how God superintended the word to be written down Mm -hmm. and then the way that these technologies were in play in order to begin spreading that. And uh, because of it, you know, the reformation spread because of that, the new Testament spread. Uh, isn't it fascinating it to is. see how God has preserved his scriptures uh, over all time for all people.
2: It really is. Um, and so we're going to kind of transition from translation into uh, this idea of paraphrase. So a paraphrase would—it's uh, different because you are taking uh, an idea and you are you are interpreting it as you go, mm-hmm. and so there are different levels of paraphrase. There's not really different levels of translation. There's different schools of and techniques for translation, but the end goal is the exact same no matter which school mm-hmm. you're using to get the first document translated fully and completely into a new language. Um, Paraphrase. That's not necessarily the the end goal. The end goal is to take something and um, to take something and to alter it in such a way that you're, you know, you're pointing out parts of it. You are highlighting different things. You're, You're highlighting things that you find to be important as the reader, and, um, and there's different reasons for paraphrase, especially when it comes to the psalms. And, and I'm going to get into, into those particular reasons. And um, when we know that we are commanded to sing the psalms, there is, a, there is a moment in this paraphrase process that a song ceases to become a type zero song and becomes something new. Uh, which is what I'm calling the type 0.5 or the type half song. Um, And it's not necessarily a clear line. And this is probably the crux of the discussion between uh, me and David. Like, where is this line? And uh, why do we care? Um, So this first topic on uh, paraphrase I want to talk about is rhyme and meter. And to a degree, you can you can take a Bible verse and you can move pieces around and you can put it into a rhyme, into a meter uh, without translating from the Greek and Hebrew into English. So you take the Greek and Hebrew, you translate it into English. You have the ESV. Now I'm going to take the ESV and I'm going to move some stuff around and I'm going to make it, uh, I'm going to make it metered and I'm going to make it rhyming. And that is my, that is my song. Uh, if you do that very dedicatedly, you can come up with a common meter or a long meter or a short meter. You know, just a something. Those are hymnal terms. Common meter would be eight six eight six. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's common meter. Um, you can. Put something you can you can put it into common meter and sing it to the tune of amazing grace um that's that's one way that's one school of thought uh you might find a different tune that fits it better uh the problems that you're going to get with uh with that uh, as a as a paraphrase that is incredibly faithful treating the text as scripture uh is you're going to really struggle to find a tune that's that's going to highlight everything the way it needs to. You're going to really struggle with making sure that all of your poetic devices are being used to get the exact same message that the original poem was intended to get. Um, can you do it? Yes, you can. Can the average Joe do it? Absolutely not. Uh, the average Joe cannot just take a psalm and paraphrase it and get a good and get a good product uh, They're going to get um, They're going to get something that is terse Difficult to sing And far from inspiring That That's just what they're going to get And um, And for songwriters Who are very inspired by the Psalms Who want to come up with a song That is A good song That is highly inspired by the Psalms They're going to they're not going to, they're not going to follow that particular path that they're going to veer off into the 0.5 type of music. And I am saying here and now, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that it, that because you're singing a psalm paraphrase, you are ceasing to sing a psalm. Um, I, I believe that you are taking the psalm model to its most extreme, that you are dedicating uh, your your craft to uh, to reinvigorating the word of God into something that is understandable for our time, for our place, for our culture. Uh, and, and I think that is something that is very beautiful and I think that is something that God wants us to do. Uh, one interpretation of singing a new song is to sing a song anew. So sing the same song, but sing it new. And I think that doing a paraphrase fully falls into that um and uh, and so that's um uh there's a band My Soul Among Lions they're very good at creating uh, paraphrases that are very strict with the rhyme and the meter uh they have some colloquial language in some of it it's very country um uh, i i'm not a big country fan uh but i really enjoy listening to My Soul Among Lions um there uh, is another, uh, Poor Bishop Hooper has some songs that uh, do this as well. Um, there's Psalm 1. I'm trying to remember the exact words. I was listening to it earlier today, and uh, it was talking about the, the, uh, the tree planted by the river whose leaves will never wi- will never wither. And so the trees by the river with leaves that never wither. And, uh, and I really liked that. Um, and so, does it fully capture every word from that passage in the Psalms? No. Does it capture the idea? Absolutely. Does it capture the beauty? Yes, it does. Uh, does it use the, the poetic device to help you to remember it, to help you to meditate on it? Absolutely. And that's the whole point. And, and I have a deeper understanding of Psalm 1. After having listened to that song. Um, So, another tactic that people do when they are paraphrasing these Psalms is they include other scripture references. Um, This could often be uh, another Psalm. So, uh, if I am writing a song and there's another Psalm that has something in it that really fits. Because a lot of the psalms have very similar wording, Um, I can include another like a line from another psalm to help kind of back up a a, an argument in the song per se, Uh, and that might also help me be able to rhyme and uh, to put it into rhyme and meter a little better if I include another phrase or similar phrase from another psalm or um if i'm doing say psalm 23 and i want to mention that jesus saying he is the good shepherd and i want to include that as my maybe my bridge or my chorus or pre-chorus um or if i want to talk about the shepherd uh, leaving the 99 to find the one uh, while also talking about psalm 23 those are some things you can do um that help uh, help us see the depth of scripture uh, while also singing the Psalms. Um, maybe putting more details of the crucifixion when talking about Psalm 22, uh, including like the phrase, it is finished, uh, in the Psalm 22. Uh, I think that is in- incredibly appropriate. Uh, it helps us to understand that this was not just a song, it was a prophecy. Uh, I didn't do Psalms as prophecy because not all the Psalms are prophecy, but... Uh, including prophecy fulfilled into those that are is I think incredibly, uh, incredibly pertinent. Um, another kind of already given some of these, but specifically pointing the Psalms to Christ um, singing Psalm two, but instead of just saying, kiss the Son, say kiss Christ, the sun, um, you know, just pointing, saying this is Jesus Psalm 110. Another one, you know, talking about Christ coming down, uh, maybe putting in some revelation imagery into Psalm 110, uh, making sure that, that we see Christ in all of, of those particular, uh, Psalms. Um, another would be to, uh, to engage the text personally. Like maybe, uh, I personally went through a trial, uh, that, uh, David's writing makes me think of. And so maybe I wasn't trapped in a cave hiding from someone trying to uh, kill me. But what, but my, um, my personal experience touches the same emotions. And so I'm using my personal, uh, details to exposit this particular text, uh, into the song. And, and I think that is again, personally, uh, perfectly fine to do. Uh, some other things would be modernizing images such as instruments or locations. Um, you know, I, I don't know where, uh, uh, he's is, I, I don't know what that means. Like that's not something that really, uh, you know, engages my emotions, but talking about, um, you know, maybe talking about Gethsemane might or Golgotha might, you know, those are uh, still ancient, uh, uh, places, but, um, we can still get those, those ideas, or I can just talk about a more generic place, a wilderness or, or the mountaintop or, you know, just things like that. Uh, another one would be instruments, uh, Sandra McCracken's, uh, Psalm 43 that she does, I think it's called uh, "Send out your light and the truth." It's something along those lines. She talks about uh, "I'll praise you with this guitar instead of with the lyre." Um, so things like that, I think, are uh, are good to do because I don't know what a lyre sounds like. I don't. I don't. I, I get that it's kind of that harp uh, instrument. That David probably played out in the field, but I don't know what it sounds like. I have an idea, but I know what a guitar sounds like. Um, and uh, and so that's those are some some other uh, ideas in particular. I've got two more items to uh, that I want to go over that'll might be a little bit lengthy, and so I, I want to uh, pause for a second and ask you if uh, if you wanted to. Comment on anything that I've gone over so far in the paraphrase.
1: Um, not necessarily. Like the, I, I guess going back to the rhyme and meter, um, you know, people have tried, you know, to kind of fit meter into the Psalms into the original Hebrew. Uh, it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work very cleanly, uh, in one... Case, uh, you can de- determine that there are kind of like a pattern of stresses or accents, you know, uh, in some of the lines. And some of those actually carry through to the English translation, right? And um, so one way that people have tried to fit that meter into the psalm poetry is by the stresses. And sometimes this actually works pretty well. And it even carries through in the actual translation. Uh, for instance, Derek Kigner. Mentions Psalm 26, verse 2, uh, and in the RSV it reads, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. So it's kind of a 3 3 uh, in each, uh, three stresses in each of those particular lines, and that kind of carries through from the original Hebrew. Now, another way that people have attempted to kind of fit that in is through actually trying to say, oh, yeah, there's totally, uh, you know, m- meter like we would think of it in um, a Western culture, right, by counting the syllables. Uh, so they've done that. Uh, basically, you have to end up reconstructing the text, which is a fancy way of saying the uh, translator uh, changes the text to fix, uh, to fit his own ideas uh, which I'm not in favor of. Um, I feel like that you're, you're fitting your own idea. You're fitting the text to match what you think it already says, which seems terrible. Uh, but then there's kind of like this parallelism that we we got into a little bit, but just, um, and there there's a couple of different ones of those. I don't want to bore you with the details, but there is um a, the, a line will say something and the second line will build on that or reflect it in some way, but they will be connected because of the way that the words um, are, are said, like they, they will talk about a similar subject, they will bring something out, maybe they will further an idea along. Or they will relate to something later on in the psalm, uh, in the case of like a chiastic uh, type mm-hmm. style. Um, but uh, where where that comes in a paraphrase, I don't know. But what what I wanted to say, just echo, is that you can't just look at the original Hebrew and say, oh yes, we have that same idea in English. You know where. you, where you have meter, and now we can sing "Amazing Grace," um, just like they did in David's times. Right. Anyway.
2: Yeah, and uh, I kind of wanted to throw this out as well. Um, this idea of of rhyme, and mm. and I I want to do a future episode. And if I had a nickel for every time I said that, I'd probably be able to afford this podcast. <laughs> but um, if I, I want to do. An episode or a series of episodes on poetic devices and on like uh, just looking at ways that, that songwriters do certain things. But um, English is a very rhyme poor language. So, like the Latinate languages, you know, like there's all of the words rhyme. I mean, there's such a rhyme rich language. You can write whatever you want to and it's going to rhyme. Uh, it'd be very difficult to write something that didn't rhyme if you're trying to. Um, but in English, it's very difficult to get ideas to rhyme. And a lot of times if there is an exact rhyme, it sounds contrived because everyone has been rhyming those two words together since the creation of the English language. That's why Emily Dickinson was, uh, was all about the slant rhyming and, uh, and trying to get everyone, Hey, just do slant rhyming. Um, if the words sound close enough then they will uh then they'll still work um there's a guy Pat Patterson he's a teacher at uh Berkeley in uh in Boston and he has okay. uh he's got like this he's published like the the textbook on songwriting but he has a section on uh slant rhyming and uh and it's very interesting but the closer the words are the stronger the idea of the rhyming is. And so you can have words specifically that aren't that close together. Like I'm intentionally having these two words that are only kind of like barely rhyming because I want this to convey this idea of, um, of fragility. Um, or if I want my two words to rhyme exactly, then it's going to have a very concreteness to it. Uh, and so the way that you rhyme or the closeness of your rhyme actually can go into helping with this idea of fragility or, uh, or concreteness. So Sir, um, can you
1: give an example of what you mean by slant rhyming uh, just for sure. our and... Um this um, Sorry, that is kind of maybe unfair. Maybe we could just no, look up no, some. No, no. Um,
2: <laughs> so uh, some vowels like, like, eh and eh, so Eck and Ick. Those would be slant rhymes or, um, so like, um, so like hick and deck would be slant rhymes. Um, also, uh, like guh and cuh. So dig and kick would be slant rhymes. Cause the guh and the cuh one is is a guttural. And then one is a, um, One's guttural and one is percussive, but it's the same uh-huh. spot in the throat. G, k, error. um like B. M is a fricative, b is a plosive. Um, I'm throwing out Watch all sorts language. of really fun words. Uh, those would be um, the, those would be really similar, but like if you did a duh and a kuh, those are different parts on the mouth and those are those aren't going to be um, very good slants. If you had the same vowel but you had a duh and a kuh um then it you most people would say oh that doesn't count as a slant rhyme because it's not mm-hmm. it's not coming from the same part of the mouth. So uh, as I said there's a whole chart that he's gone over these um, like uh and, and ooh are really are at ah and o are probably the two most opposite vowel sounds. You're not going to get a slant rhyme from those. Um. So yeah, it's it's really yeah. interesting.
1: No, I'm I actually just looked up a bunch of Emily Dickinson poems. Um, Keep it. I'm slant. trying to find.
2: Keep it slant. Keep it slant is is one of hers where that's where she was really getting into. Like that was her poem that basically told everyone else, just use slant rhyme. Um, She also loved. What year was that? I don't remember. I'm seeing a lot of 1862. I was an econ major. I just married. Oh,
1: well, yeah, that's the way to do it. Um, A route of evanescence with a revolving wheel, a resonance of emerald, a rush of cockeneal, And every blossom on the bush adjusts its tumbled head. The male from Tunis, probably an easy morning's ride.
2: Yeah, head and ride um, would be uh, slant rhymes. There's also like visual rhymes, uh, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting, like good and food. Mm -hmm. You'll see a lot of stuff like that. Um, Those would be slant rhymes, but they're very visual rhymes uh, because they both end in OOD. Um, so that's something to think about. Mm. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to go on and talk about my last two items. Yeah, that was um, fun.
1: That was a good excursus. Yeah. I enjoyed that.
2: Yeah. So my last two items, um, you probably looked at this and you're like, Oh, Brian is bringing in his accounting degree. Cause I have like <laughs> a list of numbers that don't make a lot of sense unless you sit there and stare at them. But um so I want to talk it about I want to talk about length, lengthening the text or shortening the text. Um so the psalms there's 150 of them and I've heard of them. They mm-hmm. range from 2 verses to 176 verses. So very vast different uh Lengths. So, Psalm one seventeen is the shortest. It has two verses. Uh, psalm one nineteen is the longest. It has one hundred and seventy six verses. That's one hundred verses more than the second longest psalm, which is Psalm seventy eight, coming in at seventy two verses. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There are eleven psalms that have five verses or fewer. Uh, actually, I guess. 12 if you can count 17 but um so yeah there's there's just a bunch there's a bunch of short ones there's a bunch of really long ones um so how do you handle that if i'm wanting to write a song on psalm 133 uh how do i write a song that is three minutes and 34 seconds long that only has three verses of scripture to it um and for that, I'm going to say, go ask Daniel Snoke, because he did a fantastic job. Uh, what he did was he, he added some ideas. I, I mentioned uh, the ideas of including other scripture references, or, um, or just adding uh, ideas to the text, engaging the text personally. Um, and the, the particular psalm is on unity. And on, um, you know, working together in unity, and he had some lines in that in his song. Uh, it's on one of the Cartaphonia albums, um, where he says, "Let your sorrow flow to another's eye, let your chest be filled with a brother's sigh, so our strength is built. So our strength is built." That that line is completely fabricated. He invented that. That is his words but it is uh, an application of the text, which the text says how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity and praise the Lord. And, and so he's thinking, what are some good and pleasant ways that we can live together in unity? You know, let, my sorrow flow to, let your sorrow flow to another's eye. Let your chest be filled with a brother's sigh. And this is, this is a description of life on life. On uh, living together in unity and growing closer together in the Lord, and so that's that's one approach. Um, on the flip side, we can look at uh, Psalm eighteen has fifty verses in it. It uh, it is the fourth longest psalm, um, and there is a band called the Psalms Project that uh, that tackled. This particular song, and it clocked in at nearly fourteen minutes long, um, which is a very long song. And he they covered the entirety of the of the psalm. It was in like six movements, maybe even seven movements. I have sat down and listened to this all the way through once, and I might not ever do it again. Uh, it's good. It, it was a very interesting song, but it's 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 a very long. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long time investment to listen to a 14 minute long song. Um, when I you give me
1: an idea for a competition, <laughs> should we have something to give away? We, we should, uh, yeah.
2: yeah. Anyway, go on. Anyway, uh, there's, uh, but there are three other songs that I really enjoy. Uh, all three of them are on Psalm 18. One of them is by a band called the Robbie Say Band, one is by Poor Bishop Hooper. And another is by a guy named James Block And all three of them Focus on different areas Of Psalm 18 And when you listen to all three of them together You get almost the whole Psalm Uh, There's maybe a a couple Verses that didn't quite make it in uh, With those three combined Um, But you get the general idea Uh, The the general idea of Psalm 18 um, it, It shines through And so it's tricky. How do you deal with lengthening the text? How do you deal with shortening the text? How do you choose what you want to put in? How do you choose what you want to um, to add? How do you do it in such a way that that how do you add something to it that doesn't um, that doesn't take away from the original meaning? Like, how do you add something to it and still uh, be faithful? How do you take something away and still have the whole idea of the psalm. Um, I tend to think when I want to listen to a psalm, I, I want to listen to the whole thing. Uh, I, I, I think that the psalm in and of itself should be, um, heard in completion. And so I, I would love to see, uh, someone tackle, um, like Psalms 37, 107, 105, 106, 1889 and 78 as albums an entire album dedicated to each of those psalms um and uh and i think that could be really good and i think they could even do things artistically where you might have phrases make it in each one of the songs uh, or or phrases make it into two or three of them you know there's different ways to do it uh Psalm 119 is the longest but it's also 22 separate eight uh verse poems that all tell the same story and so it kind of cheats uh it's eight verses is is on the shorter end of the Psalter uh and so it yes it's 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 a behemoth but it's really its own section of the Psalter 72 verses is uh is still Incredibly long, uh, incredibly long psalm. Uh, we might have a three part episode when we get to 78 and uh, and break that sucker up, but um, we'll see, we'll see if we make it that far. We might be on our 137th episode by the time we get to episode 78, so that's just how we roll. So that's a uh, that's really what I mostly wanted to talk about. I didn't give any answers as to, uh, how to tackle the lengthening or the shortening of the texts. I, I think that is where the question really lies. Like, uh, further discussion would need to be had on, on those. Um, I don't think the Bible really fully tells us how we can do that. I think that we have creative liberty to, um, to write based on the psalm model but I think that that's where we're going to get into the cases of, is this a psalm or is it something else? Most of the time it's probably going to be something else but that doesn't mean we can't sing it it doesn't mean that uh, it isn't good unless you are exclusive psalmody and then you have other opinions but yeah, it's what I have
1: No, it's good stuff um, I've been trying to keep track I'm sure I am Uh, I only got the Daniel Snoke song on there. Yeah. But we can add more.
2: I'll send it to Um,
1: you. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why I'm saying that out loud on the (laughs) live podcast. But, um, yeah, I don't really have anything other to say other than uh, this is also something that you should undertake with some amount of gravity gravitas towards it right i mean -hmm. uh and work with somebody who knows the original languages because if i mean depending on i mean maybe you're not writing this to be a uh you know this is the exact word of god maybe it is a just a a song but at the same time um this isn't just any other book uh, this is this is the book, and um, I, I don't know just kind of yeah. a ca- general caution
2: <laughs> yeah general caution is 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 absolutely uh in order um, there is a there's something that I, I thought of uh, earlier when I was listening to it through some songs mm-hmm. uh, so psalm one blessed is the man who uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly is how it begins so blessed. Blessed means something Mm -hmm. very specific. Uh, A lot of translations, like a lot of songs that I heard, uh, would translate that or paraphrases would translate that to happy. Happy is the man who does this, Mm -hmm. and it's just so. Mm -hmm. I I just I hate that. Like that is not what the text means. It's not talking. It's not promising this temporal, fleeting happiness. Um, But poor Bishop Hooper uh, paraphrases it to, "Oh, the joy, the joy, the joy." And it's just such a, such a better word, such a better word for it because joy, mm-hmm. when you, when you think about that through like the lens of Philippians, um, joy comes in the hardest of times. We are commanded yeah. to have joy. Uh, f- happiness is a very fleeting emotion that, that you can get, uh, from eating ice cream. Uh, whereas joy is something that only comes from the Lord. True joy. And uh, and if you are truly blessed by the Lord, you will have joy. And, and, and there's just, it's so, it's, a, it's a, such a simple surface level little word, but it means so much more when you think about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, just thinking about that song is, uh, well, it's a fantastic song for one, but then the connection to Philippians, that's really great. Uh, Jesus is our joy is the message, but we're, we we remember where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in prison. He was in prison and he is writing about joy. And for a lot of people, that's going to be a bit of a shock. Yeah. Uh, yet we learn that our joy is not based on circumstances, but on the joy of mm-hmm. being forgiven. The joy of having our debt erased. The yeah. joy of uh, being one of God's children. And uh, nothing beats that. Nothing. Beats and circumstances that. can't take that away.
2: It's brief momentary suffering. Yes. It's one brief of my, momentary.
1: That is yeah.
2: a brief momentary affliction. I think. Yeah. That's one of my yeah. favorite quotes from Paul. Cause it's like, he's not talking about this <laughs> cramming for an exam. He's talking about from now until the rest of my life, I'm going to be in pain, but that's just this brief momentary affliction. And I can still have joy through that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's just something that's really powerful. And, um, a simple word choice like that in, in that sort of paraphrase can just really bring out uh, the truth in a way that just reading it verbatim won't because the scripture was always meant to be read and in, in its entirety it was always meant to be able to interpret itself um you know each passage isn't in a vacuum but each passage is meant to stand alone and that is why it is a living breathing document and we need to respect it as such um i think that's a pretty good recap of of a lot of what we just talked about um i did want to reiterate as well that uh that we can sing the Psalms in uh, in every culture. That is that the Psalms itself do, are not limited to the ancient Near Eastern culture, and I, ha, for one, have really been enjoying listening to the Psalms um, every day. Uh, but I, I look forward to the day where we can sing the Psalms in every language together in a. In, in heaven. So I want to close by saying, uh, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, to Him, all majesty ascribe and crown Him Lord of all.
0: There is a balm in the eye to make the wound.
1: Thank you for listening to the balming gilead podcast we love hearing from you so email us at thereis@balmcast.com. we are a part of the tech reformation family of podcasts and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com we'll see you there if you enjoyed the balming gilead podcast please encourage others to listen we value your feedback so, rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.
2: Theme Fantas- f- Fan- fantasy. Fantiful. Fantasy. Fantas. Fantastic. Nickel. Fantastic. Yes. i gotta say fantastic. Fanciful. Love it. Fanciful was the word I was going for. Anyway. Uh, so a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament might even come off as uh, fanciful. Is that even the word that I just said? Yeah, fanciful. Yeah, that's totally a word. It is. All right, I'm second guessing myself. All right, I'm going to cut a lot of this. Cut that part out so that you sound very make confident. It sound like I'm I'm smart and confident. Um,
1: fanciful. So